coming up on this episode of Crime Family. The disappearance of the, the Millbrook twins. And it's just unfortunate because of the area that this crime happened in. It's a very low-income area and very marginalized, so it never got really a whole lot of attention. So after the girls left, they were supposed to be heading home, but that's when like the trail goes cold. They never end up getting home. It's annoying because that 24 hours is so critical, and if they start an investigation early, then maybe they can find the missing person before something worse happens. That someone had called the police to report seeing the girls leaving, but never described leaving where? Leaving the city? Leaving the neighborhood? Leaving the state? And, like, oh, I don't don't know why they were scared. Like, someone's following them. That's why. He said, we think a terrible injustice has been done for the last 20 years, and for some unknown reason, the girls were removed from the system, and there's also no report saying why they were removed. everyone. Welcome back to Crime Family. Before we start today's episode, we just want to let you know about our patron community. If you like the show and you want exclusive extras like ad-free content, bonus episodes, a private community to connect with us, free merch, and an exclusive new true crime series, Doc Talk, consider becoming a patron. Doc Talk is like a book club for true crime documentaries. Each month we'll select a new doc to watch and discuss it in full. We'll take your questions and discuss the topics you want. You have access to this exclusive new series at a Tier 3 membership, as well as all the other extras I mentioned. Join us on Patreon to continue the true crime conversation and build a community. We'd love to have you. By signing up today, you'll also get automatic access to our bonus episodes, including one about Sarah Boone, known as the Suitcase Killer, one about the updates in the Adnan Syed case, and a Halloween one. So check out the show notes for the link to become a patron today. Or go to patreon.com slash crimefamilypodcast. Also, we've recently launched our exclusive merch store on Redbubble. We're so excited to have the official Crime Family logo and designs on everything from t-shirts to stickers to mugs and hats. Check out our merch store to help support the show at the link in the show notes. So for this week's episode, Steph is going to be telling us about a case that she's been researching. So Steph, take it away. Hi guys. The case that I've been doing was one that I never heard of before. I recently heard it on another podcast that I was listening to, and it's quite an interesting and very sad case. There's not a whole lot of information that is involved in this case, and there's a lot of finger pointing and a lot of shady cop work and stuff like that. And it's just unfortunate because of the area that this crime happened in. It's a very low-income area and very marginalized, so it never got really a whole lot of attention, which is probably why the only reason why I heard it was on a podcast. And when I was researching it, there was like barely any information on it. So I just wanted to to talk about the case because I want to get the story out there. And the case is about the disappearance of the, the Millbrook twins. 
I don't know if you guys ever heard about the case, because I know I didn't before I did my research. No, I never. Completely unknown to me, so I'm excited to listen. Yeah, I've heard of it. I can't recall a lot of the details, but I, I am a little bit familiar with it. Like I said, it just caught my eye and it was suspicious. And unfortunately, there was a lot of injustice that went on. So the case is about twin girls, Jeanette and Danette. And they're fraternal twins who live in Augusta, Georgia. They live with their mother, Mary, and their younger sister, Shanta. And their family is pretty close, but they did live in a low-income area. And their mother struggled a lot to make ends meet and would often didn't have enough money to feed her children or give them money for the city bus, which is how the twins got to and from school every day. So the girls and their mother and sister would, would often go to church on Sundays And the twins would often get food from the church's kitchen that was free. And this happened every Sunday. They would get meals for the day or meals for a few days. And they would bring bring it home. And on the day they disappeared, it was no different than any other day. On the morning of March 18th, 1990, the girls and their mother got up and got ready for church and went to church like they did every Sunday. And afterwards, their mother had left to go home and the girls had to pick up something to eat at the church's kitchen. Once the girls had got their meals, they walked home. And when they arrived home, they had told their mother that there was this white van that was following them. But when the mother looked out the window, she didn't see any white van or anything out of the ordinary. So she kind of just brushed it off and kind of ignored it. Later that afternoon, the girls, after they finished their meals, the girls decided they were going to go visit their godfather. It was in walking distance from their house. So they would often go to their godfather's house because he would often give them money for the bus. And they knew he would always give them extra money to buy like snacks or anything else that they needed. So on this particular day, they left their house around three and went to their godfather's house. When they got there, they hung out with their godfather for about half an hour. They got the money and they decided they were going to walk to the convenience store. On their way to the convenience store, they decided that they wanted to stop at their cousin's house to see if their cousin wanted to walk with them to the convenience store. But the cousin's mother would not let them. So their aunt would not let them go because it was getting late and it was almost time for supper. So the girls had left their house and started walking towards the convenience store and decided to go to visit their older sister who lived a few blocks away to see if she wanted to, if she could walk them to the convenience store and home. So when she got there, she had asked their sister if, if she could walk with them, but her sister also said no because she just had a baby like a couple days ago and she was tired and she didn't want to walk with them. She thought it was weird that the twins would ask to walk with them because they were 15 year old twins and they were together so for them to ask for her to walk with them to the convenience store and home was a little odd to them but she didn't really think anything of it she just said no I'm too tired I don't really feel like walking so the girls just left and they ended up going to the convenience store and at the convenience store they bought chips and some pop and some other little snacks for their um week at school and the clerk said that the girls seemed normal they were very happy nothing seemed out of the ordinary so after the girls left they were supposed to be heading home but that's when like the trail goes cold they never end up getting home later that evening the girl's mother was getting nervous because the girls weren't home for supper so when the mother called the godfather to see if the girls actually went to his house he said they had left around 3 4 o'clock to go to the convenience store so she then called the cousin because she knew the cousin lived close to the convenience store and she said yeah the girls were here and had asked if, if she could walk them home but she didn't 
they she then called their sister because they knew that she was close by to the convenience store and see if they stopped by and see if she saw them. And she said, yeah, they had come, came in, said hello, and, and had asked again if I could walk them home into the convenience store. But then she also said no. So the mother was starting to get a little bit panicky. She was kind of wondering why the girls kept asking someone to walk them to the convenience store. Like, were they scared? Were they somebody following them? Was something making them nervous? Like, she just wasn't sure. So an hour went by and the girls still haven't showed up. But that's when she got some of the neighbors together and she decided to go do a search on her own just to make sure maybe the girls lost track of time. Maybe they were taking a different route home just to see if she could find them or know anything about what their whereabouts were. So after a couple hours of searching on her own, she, she didn't find anything and the girls still weren't in contact with their family. So this is when she decided to call the local police station. But when she spoke with the police officer, he told her that she needed to wait 24 hours before she could make a report. And we've heard this all before, like you always have to wait the 24 hours before you can report a person missing. Um, which is, which is, I feel really frustrating in all, in all these cases. I feel, I mean, I, even though I can understand and I get why that's a thing, because many people will return or they will hear from them within 24 hours. So it's kind of a waste of resources to have to, you know, start a search when like, they're just going to show up anyway. But for like the ones that don't show up, it's annoying because that 24 hours is so critical. And if they start an investigation early, then maybe they can find, find the missing person before something worse happens you know so it's just annoying even though i understand it and i can't imagine i mean it's frustrating for me just listening to it i couldn't imagine for as like to be the family of the missing person who who's being told that you have to wait 24 hours when you know something's wrong i don't understand it when it's a kid or somebody under like 19 or a minor that you have to wait i'd feel like that would be priority and even if they are 15 you know still look for them right away i feel but guess not but i think i mean yeah but i think maybe it's because like there's a lot of kids that run away or like don't talk to their parents for a day or something i i maybe i don't know i mean it still should be priority but i feel like maybe they just think that you know a lot of times it's just a kid being rebellious I guess, yeah. But especially when they don't have any prior history of running away or there's nothing that would prompt them to do that, you know, you'd think that'd be a little bit more startling than just, you know, lumping everybody in with, they're just a kid and they'll be back. But yeah, we talk about this all the time, but yeah. 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 And I was saying, and then I was going to say while you were, while you were saying that, I was thinking, okay, maybe they should do it on a case by case basis, you know, depending, but every person's going to go to the police station and say, no, this is unusual, you know, so everyone's going to. Obviously, it's your child, it's your family, you're going to think it's a number one priority, right? So they can't really do case-by-case basis because everyone's going to say, I guess like, that's no, true. this is unusual. Yeah, and they probably just don't have capacity to search every single time somebody says something. So I guess I get it. Because I mean, like, I've never worked at a police station or anything like that, but you can probably imagine the amount of, like, people who call them saying somebody's missing and then they turn up, like, hours later, right? Like we don't see that side of it. So if you're on the inside, you're probably like, okay, well, 90% of these just turn up anyway. So I'm, that's why I can like understand that 24-hour rule, even though it is annoying and frustrating. So I feel like in the back of my mind, that was kind of one of the reasons why Mary waited and she kind of did the search on her own was because, like I said, they, they lived in like a marginalized area and a very like low-income area. So I feel like she kind of, if she kind of went to the police, they might have... 
like she kind of knew that they would say 24 hours or they might have brushed it off or something like that so I kind of I think that's why she initially did try to search on her own but like obviously when the girls didn't show up she had to go to the police and file a missing person's report so yeah so like I said like she had to wait 24 hours and she was super frustrated but she did wait the 24 hours when there was still no contact with the girls after the 24 hours she called back to make the report but this time when a deputy answered the phone and according to the mother this is what the deputy said it says oh they probably ran away like they're they're probably like they'll come back like there's no need to panic or no need to worry they're 15 year old girls like kind of like what AJ was just saying like a 15 year old girls will come back so they basically said we can't really do anything right now but Mary knew with all her heart that her kids just didn't leave or run away because they weren't that type of girls they were very like close to their family they were very close to the community and they wouldn't just get up and run away they were good kids and they would like they would never leave their family for no reason one thing I always notice or I always think of when I hear about cases or watch documentaries or whatever it's like people always say oh this is unlike them they would never i find it a lot too for people when like deaths are ruled a suicide people always say well they would never be the type to to commit suicide and it's like well you don't really know what's going on with someone right like so it is possible that these things could happen like oh they would never be the type to run away they've never done it before but i always think like well they wouldn't tell you if they were going to run away you know what I mean? So maybe it, I just think a lot of times people say that. Like, well, no, they didn't run away because they're not that type of person. Well, no one thinks that someone's that type of person until it happens, right? That's just my two cents. Do you guys, like, feel the same way about that that I do, though? Like, that's just something I always find when I, I watch these kind of things with people run away or if it's suspected it was a suicide or something and people always say, like, oh, they're never that type of person. They would never do that. When it's like, well, you don't really know until it happens that, I don't know. Yeah, I think a lot of suicides especially are out of the blue because, I mean, you even see celebrities that are in the like public eye that seem to be really happy. Like I'm thinking of Robin Williams, for example. Like, you know, he's a comedian. He always seemed happy, but yet he was struggling. And that was a surprise for people that didn't know him that well, I guess, maybe his family. But there are examples out there where people just commit suicide and they have no prior, you know, anything leading up to that that anybody would suspect so it could happen yeah like i was um i don't know if you guys watched i mean the recent unsolved mysteries there's an episode on there about like they ruled the death a a suicide but the family was saying no like no one would ever she wouldn't do that so i always just think of that when i see those kind of cases because it's like most people suffer in silence until they until they commit suicide or like attempt it right so this might might not be something that you would confide in someone. So when people always say, oh, they're never that type of person, it's like, well, you just never quite know. But anyway, that's just my two cents. I think a lot of people try and hide it so they overcompensate by acting really happy so that people don't suspect anything when, you know, really they are the saddest ones on the inside. So you never know. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just my two, like my observation from the outside. Obviously, I don't know any of these people personally. So I guess if someone who knows them and their family member says that's not like them then obviously take their word for it over someone who doesn't even know them but i just anyway that's just my opinion yeah i kind of like i I agree like with what you guys are saying it's like you it's so hard to like like i don't know any of these people either so it's so hard to know how they're feeling and what's going on so i'll get into more detail about the whole police investigation but it's sad to think that like a lot of cases go unsolved or a lot of cases 
aren't done well because their first instinct is like they ran away or they commit suicide when really they don't they don't really know and they don't really do a whole lot of investigation to find out so it's a lot of it's just sad that some of these cases just does not they, they get details wrong and stuff like that so it's, yeah yeah i think like if there's evidence there's, there's like suspicious evidence or it's kind of sketchy there's evidence to show that it possibly was foul play i think they should pursue that but i you know, but sometimes deaths are ruled a homicide and then the family will, or a uh, suicide, but then the family will like fight and say, no, that's not when there's like not much other evidence to suggest anything else. So I think that's kind of where, but like in a lot of cases, yeah, there are lots of other evidence to show that it was foul play, but they stick with the suicide theory, which is also crazy. So just varies, I guess. So like I said, like she was super frustrated that the police kind of just brushed it off. Like they were runaways, but she knew that her kids, like her girls would not just run away. They they were good kids and they wouldn't just leave their family like that without telling anybody. Mary goes on to to say in an interview by Oxygen that the police did nothing, nothing about the disappearance of the girls and the family was basically on their own to find them themselves. Um, when Mary told the girl's father, John Milbrook, who's not really in the picture in the family, he's kind of estranged from them. He says he never wanted to look for them. He never, he told their oldest daughter that if the police came to question him, that he was dead. And if, and if they came looking for him, that he was dead and that he just didn't want anybody to question him or look for the girls, which kind of to me seems really suspicious. Like, why wouldn't you want to look for your daughters? I guess he had like so many, he had so many mixed emotions about the whole thing. And I guess he just didn't know how to feel about it. But I mean, they were your kids like you think you'd want to go look for them the case kind of went cold after that and nothing really happened and about a year later in april of 1991 an investigator had informed the family that the girls could no longer be compelled to return home and that they were still considering it them a runaway nothing was done they never even looked into it after a year and they said it's been a year now the they haven't showed up at their house. There's nothing really they can do. They're not really, like, they're not compelled to come back home. So there's basically nothing we can do. So the family to- later told the local CBS News 12 that someone had called the police to report seeing the girls leaving, but never described leaving where? Leaving the city? Leaving the like neighborhood? Leaving the state? And that was never explained. Someone saw them leaving, but they never gave a description of where they were leaving. And so the police never looked into it and they just said, oh, they left, like, case closed. There are also several other mistakes, according to the family, that were made in the original report. Like, their last name was spelled wrong and Jeanette's middle name was put as Latricia when her actual middle name is Latrice. And these mistakes were never changed, according to the family. And I actually looked it up. I wanted, like, I see if I could find any, like, anywhere where the report was and I actually came across an article that also stated that the girls names were never changed to this day like their information like their name was spelled wrong and her middle name was spelled wrong to this day so nothing was ever changed in the original report so the family was basically on their own trying to search for their family they tried every avenue and things just seemed not going obviously that well And there was nothing really new information until two years later in 1993 when again someone informed the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children 
that the twins had been found, but there was no lead on that. And eventually, and then when they went to go look at the original case file, the case file had also disappeared. And when they went to go see who that call came from, they couldn't trace the call of where, who sent that call. So again, there was no lead. There was no follow up to any of those allegations of them either being Wait, found. What? So someone called in and said that they were found. Yeah, someone called or informed the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children to report that the chil- that the twins were found. But when they went to go talk to that person, they couldn't. They had no information of who that person was who called. There was no like trace of the phone call. Or the recording of the phone call. And when they went to go look at the original case file, the case file was missing as well. How did something like that happen? And again, that was that. And the case was closed again. And nobody ever followed up or followed the leads or looked any further into that. So they don't know who this person was that called in. That's so weird. But did they not go and check to see if they actually were found? Like someone just calls in and be like, they're found. Okay, case closed kind of thing. Like that just No, there was no really information on on if if they went to go look for like I looked everywhere in different sources and it didn't really say they went went to go look for them it was just kind of said like what I just read but well so like so, so so someone called in and then they couldn't find the person who called in but they also didn't check if they were found which is weird I mean I guess I could just call the family and say were your were your twins were your ch- kids found and they would find out but around the same time that this call came in Skeletons of an unidentified black female was dis- was discovered in Atkins County, and the remains were found near Highway 191 in Atkins County in South Carolina. And the family at the time said that the facial reconstruction of the bones could be Jeanette, but they were told that it was neither Jeanette or Danette. But they never gave a reason why they th- said that it wasn't them. At this point, the family is pretty frustrated and devastated with how this case was going or being tr- was being and how they were being treated and how there was just a lot of injustice being had but it, it was just one body that was found right yes. like one skeleton yeah but there was no other information that ever came out about that like i looked and i searched and i couldn't find any other information of who the body was it was just like a, J- a jane doe they never did say who the body belonged to I mean, they might not have DNA, but I mean, they probably have other tools that can rule out, you know, yeah. certain, or narrow it down. So I guess and it's possible they did tests and were like, well, no, it doesn't fit the description or it's not them. But like I said, like, even if it wasn't them, they never get, they never give a reason of why they thought, why they think it's not them or Jeanette or Danette. At this point, the family was pretty devastated, but also very frustrating and how the case was being dealt with and how they were being treated. It wasn't until 2004 when Shanta, who was only 12 when the girls went missing, she started a quest to get the case reopened by calling the local police department regularly and trying to get them involved. She tells Huffington Post that she's been trying for years to get the police involved again, and they would tell her that there's nothing they could do. They were also told that at the time of the girls' disappearance, someone had told the police that the girls were removed from their home and placed in foster care, but those allegations were quickly turned away and turned out to be false because, yes, there was somebody in the family that was put in foster care, but it wasn't the twins. They just got their information mixed up, I guess. So there's just a lot of 
different information going on, a lot of just the case not being handled well. Shanta never gave up, and on June 5th, 2013, a Richmond County Sheriff by the name of Richard Roundtree, who was elected in 2012, announced he would reopen the case. He said, we think there, there has been a terrible injustice has been done for the last 20 years, and for some unknown reason, the girls were removed from the system, and there's also no report saying why they were removed. Roundtree wasn't really familiar with the case, so he started interviewing by then the retired lead detective and got the girls' DNA, and as well as their mothers, into the database. But the searches came back empty, so they finally got DNA like put into the database after all these years, after 20 years. But this came back empty as to no matches in the system. But what I can't get past is why would they remove from like the missing children's like that's still like even when I was talking about it earlier, like I don't understand how it's one random phone call somebody could be like, Oh, they were found, so let's remove them from the system and nobody ever thought anything of it. Um I've never heard of that happening before. But like, like how does that happen? Well, Roundtree, the guy who was who reopened the case was also unable to find out who made that call. Like he said he was searched and searched and he still couldn't find out who made that call. So I don't know if it was actually what it was, but for them not to find any information on who made that call, it seems really odd to me. That, but also like, somebody had, but somebody would have had to go in and remove them from the database. So like that is suspicious in and of itself. Like it doesn't just happen, I guess. I mean, unless it was like a technical glitch or something, but somebody would have had to go in not from the database, but whatever, remove them from the system or whatever, like from the list of missing children. Like that to me is weird. So, I mean, kind of has cover up all over it. Like somebody who would have access to that system would have to go in and remove them. Or somebody didn't put them in the system at all and said they did. And I just don't know. I've not, like AJ said, I've never heard of anything ever happening like that. Like, and not being able to find out who made that call. It just seems weird to me, but. As you can tell by how this case is going, there's just so lo- just a lot of mistakes and injustice going on to this family who just want desperately to find their missing family members. Since the family had no money to advocate for the missing girls, they look they seeked uh, out people like John Walsh, Oprah, to see if they could like just get the word out there and talk about their case and stuff like that. But unfortunately, for whatever reason, no one wanted to help them. And they couldn't, and like they couldn't pay a private detective to like help them with the case. So they basically had to do everything on their own, and they're just at wit's end and trying to figure out what they could do to like just get more information out there about the girls and try to get the case solved. They were doing it for years, many years by themselves, and they were starting to get overwhelmed and stressed. But they they knew they had to continue on and find the girls or know what happened to them. Luckily. Someone did hear about their story and wanted to help. And that help came from two women who ran a podcast called The Fall Line, where they focused on cold cases in marginalized communities in the southeastern United States. And they premiered their season with the Millbrook Twins in 2017. And then a guy by the name of Michael Whalen consulted with the host of The Fall Line podcast, and he featured the case on his podcast called Unresolved in 2018. And with those two podcasts, the case started to get noticed. And a big billboard went up to help publicize an award of $8,000 that was raised and was for anyone who had in, any information or that 
could help lead the case in a new direction. So they finally were starting to get the word out there and get more people involved in their case and looking into the case. A lot of other places, people were starting to get in, involved in the case. And one of the articles that I was reading came from the oxygen.com. The article I was reading had come, come out in November of 2019. And this article was kind of really interesting to read. Um, they had interviewed a guy who was incarcerated by the name of Ernest Vaughn. And he suggested that John Milbrook, the twins' father, knows what happened to the girls and knows that the girls are dead. And this is what he's telling the Oxygen.com journalist. So he goes on to say that he knows what happens to the girls because he was there that night when they disappeared. And he didn't really want any, like like he said, he said John, their father, never really wanted anything to do with the girls and didn't want the mother or the sister looking for them either. And Vaughn goes on to say that John knows his daughters are dead and that he went crazy because of it. Vaughn has connections with John because John spent time in prison for helping dispose of a body in 1996 after the victim was killed by Vaughn. And according to court documents, John was sentenced to four years in prison for concealing a death, but there is no other information stating how long he actually spent in jail. So Vaughn knows John and hung out with John around the time that the girls disappeared. And Vaughn says that he spent time at John's house where he says this was a place where people use drugs and a lot of drug dealing was going on. Vaughn continues to tell Oxygen.com that he went there when he was just 12 years old and he had witnessed what he says led to the murders of the twins. He gave account of what happened to a former prosecutor, Laura Coots, and former homicide detective Paige Reynolds, who gave the case a fresh look. He claims that one of the twins got drunk while the two were at their dad's home and that some of the men that were at the home, Vaughn says there was like between eight to nine men at the home at, at the time, at the apartment, and that they took advantage of her and the other twin didn't know what to do. No one did anything in the apartment while the, these guys were taking advantage of one of the twins. He doesn't say who, which twin got drunk and they were taken advantage of, but it doesn't sound like a very good situation either way. He then continues to say that he witnessed that one of the men hit the twin that was just sitting there in the back of the head and he, she fell back and hit her head on the table. And apparently the other twin was screaming and the other people were told just to leave. Vaughn thinks that the girls were killed and dumped nearby. He never did say whether Milbrook killed the twins or was involved in dumping of the body, but he feels that this is what drove him to go crazy. Now this is all just what this Vaughn guy was telling the interviewers. Now these claims are all hearsay, but Milbrook is currently still alive, but is in a nursing home with dementia. And according to Shanta, the prosecutors were not able to confirm or deny Vaughn's claims. Richmond County Sheriff Department investigators spoke with Vaughn in prison, told him of the details. And Oxygen.com also told him about the details of what Vaughn's story was, of the story that Vaughn was saying. And they said, even though some of the details were corroborated they did not find his accounts of what happened to the girls credible and there was no further investigation after that and the case remains unsolved to this day and there has been no new information so after all that in the claims of what could have happened to the girls there was no no information after like they looked into it they didn't see it was credible of what happened to the girls and the investigation kind of just went cold after that and nobody has looked into it since 
Do they know for sure that this Vaughn guy knew their the twins' father? Like you said, he was incarcerated. Their father was incarcerated for concealing a body that Vaughn had killed. Like we know that's true, right? Yes, because there was court documents proving that Milbrook was in prison for the conceal concealing of a death, but they never it never says how long he was in jail for. So they did know each other, is what like we know that they knew each other. Yeah, we all hear stories of people who say stupid stories or make up stupid things just to be try to get themselves involved in in the case somehow. But like I said, they did look into it, but they didn't see that his story was credible towards what happened to the girls. And I'm assuming they never did go interview Milbrook because he has dementia, so you probably wouldn't remember who what happened or who even who the girls are so it's hard to say and i guess they never did it they never did question any of the other witnesses or vaughn never told them any of the other people that were there but he was only 12 at the time the girl when the girls went missing in 1990 and he never told anybody else who the witnesses were who the other men were maybe he didn't know who they were because he was only 12 at the time but but also like who also, who else know? Like, who knows what kind of like, you know, what he held? You know, he could have held something against him for something unrelated, and just thought this is a way to get back at him, or I'm gonna like blame this whole thing on him. Because like, if they have a history together, like maybe they, you know, he just wanted to get back at him somehow and like blame him for this. So yeah, I don't really see. I mean, it could be credible, but also, well, maybe who but knows? Then you also think like when when the girls did go missing that. Younger sister said that the father didn't want anything to do, like, want, didn't want anything to do with the investigation, didn't want anything to do with them missing. So it's kind of suspicious in that way, like, oh, why does he want to be involved? Like, now with this story, you think maybe he did do something or know something and just didn't want anything to do with it. But now you can't ask him because he has dementia and he probably wouldn't remember anyways. It's crazy. I mean, there's no evidence either way to say if his story is credible or not. So I guess we'll never really know. So it's just very, it's very weird. But if that is true, then obviously it's pretty sad and like crazy if their own father could be, could do something like that or be involved. But yeah, it is kind of sketchy that he wouldn't want anything to do with like the investigation. Like that in and of itself is a red flag right out, right off the bat. And that they didn't question him at the beginning. Like when they went missing, they never really did question the question, John, about if he knew where the, the twins were like that was never, I never found any, any information that they even went to his house or went looking for him. So obviously the police didn't really look into like they did, uh, didn't do their job properly and ask these people because like if what Vaughn's saying, like they did drugs at his house and were doing drug dealing. If they would have went to his house to interview him about his daughter being missing, they would have, probably seen evidence of that and maybe dig deep into more about his background and what he knew but they never did that so now we never know so i guess he wasn't actually estranged from his family then right or is he still saying that he was but maybe the girls would still hang out there sometimes but they their mother didn't know like how have you figured that situation out yeah yeah like why would they be there if they're estranged from him Uh uh-huh Unless he, like, took them there against their will. He might have done that, but also, like, they weren't, like, he wasn't in their lives. Like, he never, like, he never supported the mother with any, like, financial 
whatever, and I've never really, like, helped out with the kids or never gave the kids anything or never really spoke with them. So, I never really went in, really in, into detail about, like, what their actual relationship was, but just from that, I'm just gonna, like, assume that they weren't, like, like maybe, like Katie said, maybe they were going there without the family knowing, or maybe he did take them without their consent or whatever, but... Did he have a white van? Because didn't you say at the beginning there was somebody in a white van following them? Like, did that ever go anywhere? Did they look into that? No, they never... Because the mother never really mentioned that because she kind of just brushed it off as nothing because when she... But wouldn't they know, like, oh, that's his van? I mean, maybe not, I guess, if they're not in his his life. Yeah, if they don't know him, they might not. Yeah. Like, when the girls came home and they mentioned the white van, the mother looked out the window and didn't see any white van in the premises or anything out of the ordinary, so... She wouldn't know really what them was white, but she wouldn't really say, oh, that's the van that the kids were talking about. But if she never saw the van it, them itself, and that was just the girls saying that, then. But, like, why would they? I mean, I feel like that has to be true. Why would they say that if it wasn't? Like, they would just come and say there's a white van following us? Like, I feel like you wouldn't just say that unless it was true. On the way home, they kept asking, they kept stopping at different places to ask for if they could walk them home. Because obviously they were nervous about something. They wouldn't just... But why wouldn't they say also, too? Like, that's kind of weird, too. Why wouldn't they just say, like, this is why someone needs to... Or is that why they said because someone was following them? That's why they wanted someone to walk with I them? I think so, yeah. But if they, even if they were 15 and they were like, there's somebody following us in a van. We don't want to walk home by ourselves. You'd think that their family's not going to be like, oh, like, <laughs> yeah. too bad. And Oh, don't worry about yeah, it. Just or, go. Get out of here. Yeah. And like, oh, I don't, I don't know why they were scared. Like, someone's following them. That's why. Yeah, your your fifteen year old is saying someone's following them in a white van. Like, wouldn't anybody be like, okay, we're gonna take, we're gonna go with you? <laughs> like, maybe they didn't mention the van. Maybe weird. they just didn't want. Maybe they just asked for someone to walk with them and not and not explaining why. But also, I feel like I don't know. Shouldn't you also get the hint? Like, if they're asking people to walk them, and there's obviously some a reason why. Like, I feel like you would just clue in and say, okay, like. There's a reason why maybe they don't have to tell you out front, out, up front, but like clearly they're uncomfortable going alone. So we would just, but like, why wouldn't they just go with them? Store clerk said like when they came into the, like the convenience store, they seemed happy. They were like laughing and they seemed like nothing out of the ordinary. I mean, they seemed like normal teenage girls buying candy and stuff like that. But then as soon as they walked out of that convenience store, that's like literally the trail goes cold and that nobody has found them since. So obviously somebody was waiting for them or knew where they were going that's just my like my opinion i don't really know they couldn't ask the older sister because they went to them they went to the older sister house to see if she could walk them home but she recently died so and that's the thing that's that's the thing that sucks the most about these old cases that like go cold it's like as the years go on you know more people die possible witnesses die and so it's like just less and less likely that something or people forget or you know but what I'm also really, really shocked about is that, like, John Walsh or Oprah or people like that didn't want anything to do with the case. Like, those are the type of people you think would be all over it. Especially John Walsh. You think, and he does, like, he does other shows like The Hunt, which is, like, literally looking for people. <laughs> so, like... Oh, that is weird. And a lot of it goes back to, like, like was it because of their race and where they lived? Like, a lot of it goes back to that, like... But I don't think but that wouldn't be a reason for Oprah. No. Like, you know, she would probably, she would want to, you know, if it was like a missing, black twins who are missing, like she'd be wanting to showcase them. 
Yeah, but maybe there wasn't just a lot of information out there. Maybe there's... Probably there just wasn't a lot of information, but probably a lot of people reach out to those people. Every time someone goes missing, right? They're probably... And so they're probably just bombarded with requests and they unfortunately have to pick which ones they're going to talk about. And this one just fell through every avenue they went through, so... Yeah, like like one show can only do so can only cover so many cases or so many things, right? So yeah, exactly. And Oprah is like the number one person people, especially at that time in the nineties, whatever. Like those, she would be the one people would reach out to. I feel more than anyone. So she just like cannot do it. And like I said, like the only reason why I heard about this case was through a podcast. So it's kind of not really funny, but like ironic that like the only way that they got like the reward out there, like their faces known was from two other podcasts that happened just to stumble upon the case randomly. And it was just funny how like podcasts are the, how people are. Yeah. The word out there for cases that aren't. Podcasts are like the new version of like the Oprah show or like America's most wanted or something. Now it's like, it's like a whole new medium for, for cases to get recognition. But also I just feel it would be so hard for the family, like so frustrating too, because you see certain cases that become sensations and you hear about them all the time. And then there's other cases that go virtually. Like it's so, it's so wild to me. Like when you find a case that is so crazy and so mysterious and like no one's heard of it, which is so weird. You think those would be the cases, especially this one. Like it kind of has that, you know, element of these people in jail are coming out with these stories and they vanish without a trace. Like that's the kind of stuff that people usually are all over. So it's just crazy how some get traction and others don't. And like you said, maybe it was because of their race, you know, if it's like they're they're black, maybe that's just a reason why they just don't get enough attention, which is so sad. And it's very possible when you, you know, and then a case like Gabby Petito, you know, she's a, she's a white woman. And you know, you heard so much about that case. And then some, like you knew everything you wanted to know about that case at some point. So it's just crazy to me. And doesn't it seem like it's always those cases too? It's always the it's always cases that you don't hear about, or not always, but many times the cases that you don't hear about. It's like they are from a minority group, or you know they were poor or like impoverished and stuff. Like I feel like those are always the one. It's like just interesting how that always works out that way. Yeah, it definitely is interesting. They get like swept under the rug, or just because of the history, like the community doesn't feel. Like, they can reach out to anybody so it doesn't get out there because, you know, they're just not getting it out there themselves because of those reasons. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And it always reminds me, like, this what you were telling. reminds me of that case we did from season one, like, Asia Degree, like, the, the little girl who went missing without a trace and it's still unsolved. Like, that's a case that, I, to me, is still one of the most bizarre cases I've ever heard about. And it's not really like, you know, a really well-known one, unless you're super into true crime and then you know a lot more cases than the average person. But like, I feel like the normal per- a normal person wouldn't just know that case, even though it's so bizarre. So it's just crazy. And of course, that was another case of Asia Degree. Like she was a little black girl. And then, of course, you never hear about it. I was just going to say that. A little black girl that went missing. Yeah, under like super bizarre circumstances that you never really hear in any other case. Like that was the one where she just walked out in the middle of the night, like a little four year old, like it's still so wild. So it's just like interesting when you think about which cases get media attention and which ones don't. 
So that does it for this episode of Crime Family. Thank you so much for listening. Um, just remember, if you like the show and you want some more exclusive content, be sure to join us on Patreon. We'll put this link in the show notes or at patreon.com slash crimefamilypodcast. You can also check out our merch store on Redbubble. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. And as always, you can follow us on all the social medias, Crime Family Podcast on Instagram or Crime Family Pod 1 on Twitter. And our Facebook is Crime Family Podcast as well. And check out our website, crimefamilypodcast.ca. And be sure to send us case suggestions. We love hearing suggestions. And we're always open to, you know, there's so many cases out there, ones we've probably never heard of. So if there's a really interesting case that we haven't covered and you want us to take a look at it and cover it on the show, be sure to let us know. And yeah, thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back next week with another episode. So thanks so much and take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.